On this episode of the My Take with Miguel Crespo podcast, we're going to take a different angle on the Christmas story that you might not have heard before. Stick around. Welcome to My Take. Well, it's not my take. It's Miguel Crespo's take. Whatever. For inspiration to go. Welcome to My Take. Pastor Crespo here. My Take is your oasis of inspiration and hope in the desert of negativity and despair. Thank you for joining the podcast. Thank you for being a part of the My Take family. I want to wish you Merry Christmas. Yes, you're hearing this on December 26th, the day after December, the, the, the day after Christmas. But I wanted to uh, I wanted to enjoy the time with my family, which, uh, you know, I, uh, most people do around that time of year. And I want to string, I want to lengthen Christmas out a little bit. You know, it's like you do all this preparation. It comes, it's gone, and then we're not here again for another year. So, yes, um this episode of the podcast is the My Take Christmas special. And I hope I hope that you are uh, I hope you're blessed by it. I have a different take on Christmas this year. Something I want to share with you um you know, every year, especially when you're in the when you're a pastor, when you do this as a, as your calling, Every time that you get to Christmas, it's expected that you're going to share some type of a Christmas sermon or do something. But, you know, after after so many years, uh, you, you start to be afraid. You start to be concerned that, am I going to preach or share the same Christmas message year after year after year? Well, you know, one thing that I like to do is every time that I get to this time of year, I like to take a, a different perspective. I like to, I like to try and find a different angle on this whole uh, the the Christmas story to see if I can learn something new and to give you obviously something new as well, and so I want to share something with you today on the podcast having to do with the what we call the Christmas story. That is anything in the uh, Gospels related to the birth of Jesus. I'm going to be looking at Luke chapter two. So if you have a Bible, of course I encourage you to go there. But I want to, I want to share something with you. Um. Let, let me say this first. I know, and 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 to be honest, I find this a little bit frustrating, that we are in a time of year when the world is focused on this whole notion of Christmas, and they're focused on giving presents and this and that. But, but what I struggle with sometimes is that as Christians, as Christians, we can be so desirous to be pure— that we don't want to take the time to enjoy Christmas and celebrate Christmas or even say Merry Christmas to someone. Why? Because, well, we know that, that Jesus was not born on December 25 and that Christmas is, is something that has kind of morphed and, and has been a celebration of the change of the seasons. And, and so it has its roots outside of Christianity and that the, then it's kind of been adopted by Christianity in a sense and and so we have Saint Nick, and then we have Jesus, and, and of course there's a whole lot of confusion. But we sometimes, sometimes we can be so desirous to try and make sure to be clear uh, on the line between truth and error that I believe sometimes we hurt ourselves and we miss out on opportunities. Now, I know that different that people have different ideas as it relates to celebrating Christmas, but but let me say this: the devil has mastered the art of compromising things of the church. He's good at it. But I would say that this time of year is a time of the year when the church 
can return the favor. That's right. This is the time of year when the church, when God's people can return the favor to the enemy because it's the time of year where you can be able to focus more on on Christianity, on Jesus, on on his coming. And so I don't see it as a bad thing. I enjoy it. Uh, I, I want to wish Merry Christmas to you. It's a little late, of course, from yesterday, but all of the wonderful things that are tied with this time of year. So as we think about showing appreciation for others by buying them gifts, where we think about Jesus coming as a little child, what what that means, all, all of the, the love, the joy, peace on earth. There's something that we all need. I wish all of those things that are connected with the word Merry Christmas to you and to your family. And of course, as we enter into the new year, I wish you a happy new year as well. Now, let's get into this. So what I want to do this morning, or whenever you hear this podcast, what I want to do today is I want to focus on the Christmas story, but really the lesson that I would like to share with you in this episode is this. Nothing takes God by surprise. There is nothing that the enemy can do to stop God's plans from coming to pass. You need to know that because that also relates to your life and God's plans for you. That's right. There's nothing that the enemy can do. God has a plan, and whatever he throws at you, God will make those plans come to pass. This is just who he is. That's why he's God. All right, let's look at this. I want to ask you... uh, For the time being, I want you to step back because if you're a Bible student, you've heard these things before. If you're kind of not uh, big into the Bible, maybe this will be new. But let's look at the story of the birth of Jesus from a different perspective. Let's look at the story of the birth of Jesus from the perspective that you don't want the birth of Jesus to happen. You're you're, You're going to want to do everything you can to stop Jesus from being born. That's right. You see... The reason I say that is this. We, there is this battle between good and evil, that is the devil and Jesus. That is the, the forces of God and the forces of the enemy. And how did the devil relate to this whole talk, this notion, this idea of God becoming man? Do you think he would be happy about it? Do you think he would want to do something to stop it? Well, let me, let me, let me share something with you that you might not be aware of. Do you know that in the Bible— In the Bible, of course, the coming of the Messiah was prophesied. In other words, it was foretold that a Messiah would come and and come to to save the world. Uh, In in Isaiah 9, verse 6, it talks about uh, uh, a virgin shall conceive a child. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's just one of the many texts that, that, that tell us that in the future, at the time it was written, in the future, God was going to come. He was going to come into this world and become a part of mankind. Now, let me share a couple of things with you. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, Micah chapter 5, verse 2 has a, it's a, a prophecy dealing with the Messiah. Now, I know that um, Bible, the Bible language, can t- it's written to be poetic, and it sometimes can be confusing, but let me let me read it to you so that you you know it's there. Micah five verse two says this: "But thou, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth unto me that who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting." The Bible foretold the coming 
of the Messiah. And it even told of the city or the town where the Messiah would be born. That is in Bethlehem. Uh, do you know that in Daniel chapter 9, and this is your homework, you can look up Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 and 25, it actually gives the time when the Messiah would show up on the scene of history? That's right. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 and 25, it talks about this, this long hundreds-year prophecy, 490-year prophecy, this idea that, that for the Messiah to show up, it, there, it gave a definite starting point and a definite ending point for the prophecy. Now, I don't want to get into deep waters here because that's not what the podcast is about, but let me, let me just say this. I asked you to look at this from the perspective of someone who was trying to uh, gum up the works of God. In other words, wait a minute, God wants to come and be part of man? I don't want that to happen. If you were in the shoes of the enemy and you knew that this was in the Bible, in other words, you knew the town that he was going to be born in. You could do the you could do the math from from what Daniel tells us. It gives us a rough time frame of when the Messiah would be on the scene of history. If you had those two pieces of information and you were trying to gum up the works of God, I'm, I like that gum up the works of God. Uh, sometimes we do that, <laughs> but if you were trying to gum up the works of God, trying to cause problems, stick kind of like stick sand in the gears of the workings of God and you had those two pieces of information, of information what would you do? Okay, uh, let, me, let me tell you, I read um, an article many years ago, and this is where I got this, this idea from, that if you knew when, and from the devil's point of view, from the enemy's point of view, when God would be on the scene of history roughly, and you knew the town, don't you think that it makes sense that he would do everything he can to control and understand everything that was happening in that community and everything that's right immediately around it? Imagine the, the, the enemy trying to learn as much as he can about everybody who's in that town so that you could then be able to stop, kill the baby when it's born, or if it's—and and of course the enemy has—he's not perfect, doesn't have full understanding— if the Messiah is going to show up, you expect it's going to be a child, but maybe it's not going to be a child. Maybe it's going to be something else. I read an article one time. It just blew my mind. Here's the gist of it. It said this, that by the time that Jesus came on the scene of history, Bethlehem had a horrible reputation. Nothing of any value in terms of people came out of Bethlehem, out of that area. They just, they just, you know, the, it, it was a farming community. There were a lot of shepherds there. The, the, do you know that when you read Scripture that there seemed to be an overabundance of demonic possession and oppression going on there? It, think about this for a minute, and, and you may be wondering, why are we going down this road, Pastor? What, listen, just, just stick with me. Don't, don't, don't give up. Don't give up on me just yet. If you were trying to gum up the works of God and this idea of a Messiah coming, and you knew the town and you had the rough idea of the time frame when he was coming, doesn't it stand to reason that you would have this, this, um, this town locked down in terms of knowing everybody that's in it, knowing what's going on, being able to keep track, demon possession being rampant, families being oppressed? There was all sorts of things happening there. You think you think that you're ready. You think you're ready for what Jesus had planned. <laughs> but uh, let, let, me share, let me share some of the Bible with you. In, Dan, in Luke chapter 2, 
I want you to follow along with this. It says, uh, verse 1, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria. All that is is just giving us the time frame of when it happened. Verse 3 says, And all went to be taxed, everyone to his own city. Now, you need to think about what this means. The, the, uh, the, the Caesar of Rome, the emperor of Rome, decides, Everybody, okay, everyone, we are going to do a census. Everyone has to go back to their origin of birth and register so that we can get an accurate count of who, who's from what, how many numbers we have, who comes from where. And he called, you have to do it within a certain time frame. Now, I want you to imagine how many people have moved through the years in that part of the world during that time. It's like anywhere else. And all of a sudden, the emperor issues this decree. What happens? Everyone now has to make plans to travel. There's movement all over the place. Everyone is going everywhere. I don't know if you're familiar with the game of pool or billiards where you have this, this triangular rack where you put the balls in here and you get it all nice and tight. And then you get ready, you pull off the form, and then you take the pool stick, the cue, you hit that white ball, and when that thing hits the rack of pool balls, the balls go all over the place. It is impossible to keep track of all the balls in all the places that they go. That is what happened in Luke chapter 2. Now, you may not think it's a big deal, but here is the enemy of God. He hates God. He's been trying to be, he wants to be like God. And he knows that the Bible tells us, because the devil knows the Bible, he knows of this plan that God has to come here and, and, and show people the true character of God. And he thinks he has Bethlehem and its local environment locked down. We know who everyone is. We know where they're at. We're keeping track of everything. And we are ready to pounce. If any of them shows promise, if we see that the Messiah is in any of those places, now we're going to handle it. All of a sudden, the emperor issues a decree, and now everyone goes everywhere. And now he's got a gigantic mess on his hands. Now you got to pretty much start all over again and keep track of who's going where because you don't want this to happen. You're trying to stop this. Your very existence is on the line. You probably have never looked at the Christmas story this way before, huh? <laughs> let, 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 let's keep going. I'm going to get to the point here. If we, uh, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep reading now. Look at, look at, listen to what it says. It says, and Joseph, this is from verse four. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. And he went there because he was of the lineage of David. And he went to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they, we could talk about that, but that's not part of this podcast. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Think about this from a, just a strategic military intelligence standpoint. If you have been keeping track of everybody in that town and everything located around it, and it's like I said, think about that pool table now. All of a sudden, that, that cue ball, that, that white ball hits the, the pool uh, balls and sends them all over the place. If you're now trying to keep track of how are we going to how, how keep track of this? How are we going to know who's coming and going? 
doesn't it make sense? Uh, doesn't it make sense from a, from a basic military intelligence standpoint that you're going to keep a close eye on who is coming to the local inns? I don't think they used the word hotels back then for those places. Places where people, where travelers would come. So you're keeping track of the people that live there, and you're keeping track of the people that are going out, and you're keeping track of the people that are coming in. We need to know who's in what inn here in Bethlehem. But the Bible says that there was no room in the inn, and Jesus was born in a stable. That's right. Take the glitter off of it. Take the sparkly things out of it. Jesus was born in a stable and placed in a feeding trough wrapped in cloth because he came from very, very humble beginnings to a very humble family. Again, you know, we read about this and you don't, you don't think about it from this aspect, but, but there, there is a lot, there is a lot here. Jesus was born in a stall, but, but not just that. Let, let, me, let me share something else with you you might not have really ever heard about. He was also born under the shadow of the Herodian. What is that? What am I talking about? I, I put a picture of it on the screen. You can see it. If you go to Spotify, you can see the podcast with the video uh, that's part of this podcast not, and, and added to the audio. All right. What you're looking at here is uh, there's, a, there's a picture. This is a picture from the sky of what's called the Herodian. Now, the Herodian is a man-made hill on which a it was a combination. It was a fortress, a palace, and a tomb that was built two, about two miles outside of, Beth, about, outside of Bethlehem. Now, this was built by King Herod. And uh, there's also a picture there of what, you know, this is, of course, a drawing of what it would have looked like in the days of Herod. He had, as I said, it was a fortress, it was a palace, it eventually became a tomb. Uh, this was built by Herod, one of the many things he did, but it's the only place on which he placed his name. Why, what, what's the significance of this? Okay, well, first of all, we know that the prophecies told about the baby coming, the king having a connection with Bethlehem, the king having a connection with King David. We also know that Herod was not necessarily loved by people. He was appointed by the emperor. He was made, you know, the, the king of the Jews, but he was appointed by, by an outside government. And so there wasn't a whole lot of love for this man. There was a whole lot of fear. And so historians believe that he built this so that people would see and they would see that he is the king, he is a man of power, here is his fortress, and it would kind of rain and, and everyone who was in the area would be able to look up and see it. But yet, while here is this guy proclaiming himself to be the king and showing off his splendor and power, the real king, the true king, comes in under his very nose and is born in a lowly stable and placed in a feeding trough for animals. I don't know if you can appreciate the irony of that, but it's, it's very interesting. Let me share a couple of more verses with you here. Uh, I'm going to now verses uh, Luke chapter 2 verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. 
and this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Oh, my friend, uh, the story of baby Jesus, the story that we refer to the Christmas story, has many lessons that you can get out of it. Um, there, there, there are plenty of lessons. But I wanted to take a different perspective in this episode from the episode from the perspective, excuse me, of someone who wants to stop this from happening. Imagine the enemy trying to oppress as many people as he can, trying to possess as many people as he can. The moment he had any inkling that Jesus was on the scene, he was going to be there to kill the parents. If you read in the Old Testament, there were attempts to wipe out the line of David by different people, sometimes even people from his own family. But here he is, he's ready to pounce, and yet all of a sudden the emperor does something that wasn't expected. Everyone's traveling all over the place. Now he has to regroup, and in the whole mess of this whole thing, the Savior of the world gave up his divinity took on the form of a human child and came. He, did, he wasn't even born in an inn. He wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a stable, and his first crib was a feeding trough. The real character of God is seen in God's willingness to do whatever it takes to enter into the world of man to let them know his true character. Oh, and, and, and do not let this be lost. The Christmas story is also a lesson. It's a, it's a message that nothing takes God by surprise, that nothing that the enemy can do, nothing that he can do can stop God's plans from coming to pass. You need to know that, not just for what happened here when Jesus was born, but you need to know that for your own life. Do you feel like you're being oppressed by life? Do you feel like you're being oppressed by the enemy? There are things just not going right. It seems that no matter what you try to do to accomplish something, somebody or something smacks you down. You want to get this. You want to do that. You want to go here. You want to go there. But it just seems like you just get stuck, and no matter what you do, you can't go anywhere, almost as if someone's actually plotting to keep you from moving forward in life. Oh, my friend, I want to remind you this morning that nothing takes God by surprise, and nothing can stop God's plans from coming to pass. You just need to learn to be patient. You need to learn to trust him. In God's time, he came to this world to let us know more about who he is. In God's time, he will come into your life and accomplish those goals that he has set out. You just need to trust him. You just need to wait. You are exactly where God wants you to be. Now, are you exactly where you should be with God? But Did that come out right? I hope that came out right. Be with God. Trust in him. Wait on him. There's nothing that the enemy can do to deter God's plans from coming to pass, even in your own life. Remember that. And enjoy the holiday season. That's my take. And that is inspiration to go.